Hey guys, and welcome to a special edition of the Money Podcast. This is called Money News You'll Really Use. The concept, it's simple enough. We subscribe to tons of financial publications, and every month we read hundreds of articles. Then once every couple of weeks, we give you the highlights to bring you up to speed on the important news that affects your money. Think of it as an investor's almanac. In part one of today's show, we're going to discuss where we are now in the market and what's happened in the markets this month. In part two, we're going to go over important news stories. And in part three, we'll go over any recent investments the three of us have made. Then, time allowing, we'll go over some listener questions. I'm your host, Stacey Johnson. My co-host, as usual, is the remarkable Miranda Marquette. Say hi, Miranda. Hello. Listening in and sometimes contributing is our producer and novice investor, Aaron Freeman. Say hi, Aaron. Hey, guys. How are you guys doing today? Let's get the ball rolling. But first, a quick disclaimer. We are going to discuss specific investments in this show, including things we have personally invested in. But these aren't recommendations. How could they be? Because what's right for us may not be right for you. So before you invest in anything, do your own research, make your own decisions. Okay, let's get back to the news. Let's start with exactly where we are. Now, this is the end of August, but it's actually not the end of August. We're recording this on August 26th. It is about 2 p.m. Eastern. So not only is it not the end of August, the market's not even closed today. Uh, Yeah, the market's still open as we speak. So we're not quite at the end of August, but close enough. Now, here's where we are thus far in August. The Dow right now is around 35,300. It's up about 3% so far this month for the month of August. But for the year, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is up about 15%. The NASDAQ, the tech-heavy NASDAQ, it's up about 2% so far this month, up 16% for the year thus far. The Russell 2000, this is the little companies. uh, They're up about 1% this month, up about 12% so far this year. Oil prices, oil's up about 2% this month, $67.50 a barrel as we speak. This year, though, up 40%. The 10-year Treasury bond began the month at one and about 1.25%. Right now, it's about 1.35%. So it's yielding about 10% more, 9% actually, than it was at the beginning of the month. But this year, that 10-year Treasury bond is yielding 35% more than it did in January. So interest rates are starting to go up a little bit, probably going to continue. What are you guys thinking of the markets now? We, we've all agreed there, but going kind of sideways, at least for me, for my investments, going kind of sideways lately, the market looks like it was up a little bit. How are you guys doing this month? Yeah, I mean, just about the same. It's I, I think we've talked about this before. It seems like there's a lot of just wait and see happening right now. A lot of people consolidating positions. Uh, waiting to see how things are going to turn out, waiting to see what happens with the Delta variant this fall. And, uh, you know, just just trying to see what happens, because the, the, the next big test is going to be what happens after everybody's going back to school, after we get into back to school. And, you know, what happens when we're starting to get the unvaccinated children who are more susceptible to the Delta variant, because this is what happens when things mutate. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that, that this is how, you know, um, microorganism evolution works. Uh, the <laughs> Delta, you know, the regular variant was like, well, we're not you know, that this kid thing is a whole weakness for us. So let's let us learn. And so the Delta variant is actually affecting more children. And so it'll be interesting to see how this goes forward. But I think right now we're still kind of in that holding pattern. 
if you want to know what what it's like when kids go back to school, I can tell you, Miranda, because here in Florida, kids have already gone back to school. And you know what happened? A big damn fight. That's what happened. <laughs> the parents are just everyone's pissed at everybody else in Florida, you know, because the the governor says no no mask mandates in this state. And the school district's going like, well, it's our responsibility to protect kids, so we're going to have a mask mandate anyway. And the governor's going, well, then in that case, we'll just withhold your pay, school board. I mean, it's just it's just a nightmare. Big big fights all the time, instead of just putting on a mask, getting a vaccination, and getting down to business. You know, it's killing me. We don't want to wax too political. <laughs> Right. So let's but let's move on about let, let's talk about some of these uh, these uh, news stories and things that are that are going to affect your pocketbook, I guess. OK, yeah. As I said at the outset, folks, listeners, we uh, we read a whole bunch of news articles. I, I, I write down about five. We all write down some that we think are important. And then we're going to recap those for you. You, you want to start us out, Randall? What did you think was important? Now, this is these are stories that just happened in the last couple of weeks. So what, what do you think's happened the last couple of weeks, Randa, that, that uh, floated to the top for you? Uh, well, I think one of the biggest ones is this article from the Wall Street Journal about how U.S. crops are withering under scorching heat. There are a lot of areas, and this was just uh, updated August 24th, so just a couple of days ago uh, from when we're recording this. And I think one of the big things there is that many folks, they recognize that there's a drought going on and that there's a lot of wildfires going on, but they're not really connecting the fact that this drought is also causing problems for staples like wheat and corn. And these are all, I mean, these are things that we all rely on for a lot of purposes, right? Corn is used, a lot of the uh, corn grown is either used for uh, high fructose corn syrup, which is a main ingredient in a lot of foods that people buy, or uh, it's feed corn for for other animals, or you know, and of, and of course, wheat. We use that in bread, right? We use that for flour. We use that for a lot of the staples. And so, seeing seeing those crops kind of wither, that's that's going to have like a, an effect downstream on uh, food prices, which are already volatile and prone to inflation. This is not going to help matters. Now, let, let me ask you this, uh, Aaron. Aaron's our novice investor. So you just learned that food prices may be going up. Now, obviously, as a consumer, you're concerned about that. As an investor, can you think of any way that you can make money off of rising food prices? I'm putting him on the spot. We yeah, you are putting him on the spot. Um, uh, honestly, I've never thought about this before. Um, I never had a so I don't know. Okay, well, actually. what's going to happen when food prices go up is that things could become more profitable for those who are growing food, right? So you could look at an agricultural ETF, a commodity ETF. Well, how is it going to be more profitable if they can't even produce a yield? Because the price is going to go up. Well, obviously, if you can't produce, it's not. But if you if you're okay, what about John Deere? If prices are going up for the commodities that remain, uh, then the, the people who are producing those commodities are going to make more money, and they might just buy themselves a new tractor. And in fact, John Deere has screaming the stock has been going up. Uh, there are companies that make fertilizer. But more to the point, you could just buy an agricultural ETF. Generally speaking, when prices are rising, you want to own the companies that are producing the, the commodities. Make sense? It makes sense if they're making more money. Yeah, I just... Uh... I guess I have a hard time seeing that when I see a disruption where they can't produce anything. Farmers aren't making any money, even though we are all the ones that uh, Miranda mentioned, which was like corn and wheat and stuff that they're all subsidized. And, and I know these farmers will get subsidized for about five years, even if they don't produce anything, which is us just basically giving them free cash. Um, but if they really aren't producing anything because of 
climate change or fires or drought or anything like that. I just don't see how they're going to have any money to do anything. Yeah, well, yeah, but remember, or, or have enough, or have crops. enough product for for people to buy. But I understand if you're saying the prices get more expensive, so maybe there's a profit in that. As a matter of fact, while Miranda was talking, I I did a quick search uh, online for agricultural ETF, which I'd never done before, and I'm looking now at a list of 15 of them, uh, and there there's actually a an ETF with the symbol of corn, C O R N. It's called the Trium Corn Fund. Anyway, it's up 32% this year. Wow. Let's see what happens when agricultural prices go up. And we, and we just said the market, the Dow is only up 16%. So this has doubled the return of the Dow. So that's how, and I'm not, I didn't mean to pick on you, Aaron. I'm sorry to put you on the spot. No, no. But this is how you can use the type of information like we're reading to make money for yourself as an investor. Okay. Let me read an article now. This, I have to read this. I was going to save this to last, but I just loved it. I read this a couple of days ago. It's from Bloomberg Business Week. Here's the headline. Wall Street during the pandemic, the impossible is now commonplace. And I love this article because it, it, it expresses so, so clearly the stuff that we've been wrestling with all year. Here, here's, a, here's a quote from the article. If someone would have told me in March of last year, when COVID was first rearing its ugly head, that 18 months later, we'd have case counts that are just as high, if not higher than they were on that day, but that the market would have doubled over that 18-month period, I would have laughed at them, said one money manager. And isn't that, isn't that true, you guys? We, we, were, we were doing this podcast when the market tanked because of COVID. Now, as we sit here on August 26, 2021, we've got COVID cases here in Florida that are exceeding where they were last year. And the market, instead of going down 30%, it's going, it's, it's going up. Isn't that odd? You know, I got to, to tie into this, I got to bring you back to this farm thing. You just mentioned this corn ETF. Right. I have to ask you a question. So from 2017 to 2020, the corn ETF was in a downward trend. It went yes. from 20, and obviously in 2020, obviously we had, you know, the pandemic, but even from 2017 to 2019, it goes from 20 down to 15. I mean, it just, it's just in a constant. So for three years, this thing is just dropping when times were good. Is that because price of produce is yes. getting cheaper? We had bumper crop. We had bumper uh, crops in those years. I, and I don't, by the way, again, I don't pay attention to agricultural commodities at all, but I, but I look at Bloomberg every day and I see them, you know, and let me, let me see if I can find anything really quick on commodities. Because I, I watch soybeans go from eight, $8 a bushel to 15 I mean, just watching the news. I mean, they, they've screamed. And, and, you know, remember that a lot of this has to do with weather, Aaron, as well as inflation. But, you know, when, when uh, I think last year, as a matter of fact, I think in the article that, uh, that I read recently about agriculture commodities going up in value or got up in price, that uh, I think last year was one of the best months or best years we've ever had for wheat because we had adequate rainfall. So when you have drought and stuff, prices go up. And, and when you have inflation, prices go up. And when you have bottlenecks in transportation, like we have now, prices go up. And so you, you, can, you can watch these things. If you, if you go to CNBC or- This is crazy. Uh, you know, it's any, like the inverse of what should be happening. <laughs> well, when things, are, when things are scarce, it's a supply and demand, right? When things are scarce, prices of them go up. 
Now, let me, may I read some more from this article? Because it's just fascinating to me. Okay, I was just telling you how the market is, has gone up constantly, even though COVID is going up, which is really hard to explain. Uh, now, here's another thing. This might, this might tie into what you were just saying, Aaron. Producer prices are increasing at a 13-year high pace, rather, 13-year high pace. The economy is expected to expand at a rate of 6%, almost triple the growth of the last decade. So you would expect bonds to produce yields that can keep pace with inflation. So in what, this is a quote from a money manager, in what world could you possibly have imagined that 10-year bond yields would be closer to 1.2% when inflation is at 6%? Why haven't interest rates gone up? We're living in a bizarre world. The market's going up in the face of COVID, and interest rates aren't going up in the face of inflation. It's, it's a really difficult market to, to figure out. And, 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 and that's, that's, it's tricky. One, one more quote from this article, and that'll be done. The number of shares traded by customers of the main retail brokerages rose from $700 million a day before the pandemic to $2.9 billion earlier this year to account for as much as a quarter of the market's overall volume. Retail options trading more than doubled. So fueled by influential voices on Reddit and other social media, the new hordes of day traders have pumped up the shares of companies that were teetering on bankruptcy and been left for debt by professional money managers. I've been doing this for 40 years, guys. Never seen anything close to it. Every day when I'm watching Fast Money on CNBC, they ask you, have you guys ever watched that show? No, not very often. It's a show where four traders come on and talk about what happened that day. You know, hence it being called Fast Money. These are literally traders. But it gives, you, it gives me some insight into what's going on in the market. So I watch it almost every day. Uh, anyway, every day someone will say like, um, what's, what's, oh, AMC, the movie theater company. Yeah. This stock was at one. Now it's at 50. And it was at 100. And they'll say like, well, what do you think? Should you, were you buy it? Well, he, well, hell no, I'm not buying. The company's not worth anything. No, it's but not. It, but it'll go up, to, it'll go up 10%, 20%, 50% in a day. A GameStop. GameStop is at 200. The stock was at five. And there's no fundamentals. There's no reason for the stock to be up that high. And, and so I've never seen anything like this before. Then that's what this, you know, this thing is alluding to. There's so many things going on in this market that are inexplicable in, in historical context that I don't know what the hell to do next. Uh, invest in index funds and stay <laughs> the course. <laughs> I know exactly just, what to do next. <laughs> you just kill me. You just kill me. <laughs> okay, so I, anyway, I thought that article encompassed several things that I've been scratching my head over. You know, it just it's just bizarre, the market that we have. And I keep thinking it's going to become normal again. And in some ways, obviously, it is. But in some ways, it just isn't. It's completely different. Okay, what, what, other, what other stories? Any other stories? Well, actually, I guess the question is, that, is it going to stay that way or is it going to go back to who the... Who the hell knows? Who can pretend to know? Yeah. You know, we'll, we'll hit another story or two, but first we have to take a quick message or take a quick break for a message. We're going to be right back after this. Okay, we are back. Did you guys, do you see a story about um, why you need to order holiday gifts now? Oh, because of shortages? Yeah, well, because of yeah, because of uh, supply chain disruptions, bottlenecks, right? Yeah, I did see that title. It, the, literally, it says why you should order your holiday gifts now. That was from Axios on August seventeenth. So, those of you who procrastinate, either 
start doing it now or procrastinate and just give your just give your holiday gifts as New Year's gifts instead. Or Valentine's. Right. <laughs> but you know, when 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 we have this this you know this Delta variant that has been, you know, cutting through our economy, don't forget that this is cutting through other economies too. In fact, China's third largest port just reopened today or yesterday. So you know, the, they don't fool around in China. They, they get a couple of cases. They shut everything down. And when they shut down their ports, you know where a lot of our stuff comes from, guys. So be careful, you know, because uh, and, this, and this also could be what? Inflationary. If there are fewer cars, the cars that are on the lot are going to cost more, right? Supply and demand. So if, if, if there are disruptions in supply due to bottlenecks or trans, transportation costs or anything else, expect to pay more for stuff. It's going to take longer to get, and it's going to cost more. I was going to ask you about that. Um, obviously, uh, China has a lot more the governmental sway over what's going on over there. And I noticed the changes that they've made put a lot of fear in their market and dropped a lot of stocks. Would that make it a good time to invest because they are a major economy? I've been keeping an eye on that, Aaron, because, you know, I, I own actually just uh, one Chinese stock, which is Baidu, right? Uh, the Chinese Google, uh, and I have not found it, there. There was a bounce back uh, earlier this week in Chinese stocks, but that stock was my stock is only it's only now twenty two percent now. But there are stocks that are half what they were, like Alibaba. I would love to own. It, it used to be three hundred bucks a share, now it's one seventy. So the the China the Chinese crackdown on capitalism, which is really what's going on in their country has affected their stock. And so far, Aaron, I have not heard anyone say, buy the bounce. You know, uh, that's not true. I have heard a couple of people say that, but like the traders that I've seen on uh, CNBC, they've said it's too early. Uh, the, the Chinese government is too unpredictable. And so I, I have not, I, I was gonna buy a little, a little more Baidu uh, to see if I could you know, catch some at the bottom, but I'm not, I'm not confident enough in the that the Chinese government is going to act nice uh, and and they, we may even be delisting uh, Chinese stocks here because they're they're not giving the financial disclosure they're supposed to. Uh, and and our government saying if you're not going to tell us everything that's going on in your company, we're not going to allow you to list on the New York Stock Exchange or on the Nasdaq. Yeah, that's a disruption. Yeah, so it's risky business. You might you might catch the, you might catch good prices, but you also it, it may go down farther. Chinese stocks. I'm I'm staying clear, keeping what I have, but not buying anymore. Okay, now we've the third part of our show is discussing what we've actually done with our money. Have you guys done anything since we talked last a couple of weeks ago? I have not really done anything other than uh, pretty much I had set a target to uh, sell sell um, a good portion of my doge when it hit thirty three again, and it did, and so I sold it. <laughs> so I have What's a it tiny. Now? Uh, it's down to 26 now. Um, you're, you're very good timing this stuff. Uh, well, mostly it's just I, I just set a target. I got tired of having my money like tied up in something as volatile as Doge. And so I took some profits and now I'm putting money someplace else. So I haven't decided what. It's just sitting there now. Uh, but yeah, I. Uh, but other than that, I'm pretty much just staying the course and waiting to see what's next. Hmm. Well, that's me too. Actually, I'm just looking at my... Portfolio. Um, I have. Don't, I don't think I've bought or sold anything since we last uh, met two weeks ago. I found it interesting. I and my little pocket of stuff. Um, everything was going up and up and up until the last two uh, earnings 
that had come out. And after that, it seemed like reality snapped back in. Which which sucks. Um, I just have uh, I have Berkshire, uh, ChargePoint, Pave, Planet Fitness. I have a large cap 500, uh, the SoFi, Zynga, stuff like that. Uh, but some of these were kind of speculative. And, um, yeah, it sounds like it sounds like good good bets, but bets nonetheless. I mean, you've got some pretty high PE stocks in there. Yeah, I've got more like long term. Like I think these a lot of these companies will do well in like five years down the road. But it's just interesting how all of them have they were all up, 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 and then all of a sudden the past uh, quarter one, quarter two earnings reports came out, and everything went right back to norm. I do feel like, by the way, I'm I'm very encouraged. Here on the 26th of August, uh, we, we are not seeing a decline thus far in COVID cases, but I think we will. Uh, and I'm encouraged that the stock market hasn't gone down, that it's looking past this this latest wave of, of COVID cases. Uh, and I do think that people are finally becoming scared into getting vaccinations, which I think is going to help. So I, I'm feeling a little less sanguine and a little more positive about the stock market than I, than I was the last time we all talked about it. Um, so I, I'm feeling pretty good. In the meantime, though, I'm still kind of a little shy about the high PE stocks. That is stocks that don't have a lot of earnings. They may have a lot of promise in the future, but they may not have a little a lot of earnings in the near future. Yeah. And I'm a little worried about that because I do think as the economy begins to recover more after we get after we clear some of this, this COVID nastiness, that I think that interest may, may finally start going up some. Uh, and when that happens, that's going to be that compresses price earnings ratios, not to get too in the weeds, but stocks with really high price earnings ratios may suffer more than stocks with low price earnings ratios. So I would rather at this moment, I'd rather own Ford, which I actually have not bought and I'm thinking about buying, uh, than I would SoFi. I think SoFi is going to be a winner long run. But I think in the short term, if interest rates start going up, Ford's going to be better, uh, some, a low PE stock like Ford. Will be a better buy than a high PE stock like SoFi. That's my two cents. Agree? Disagree? Um, I don't know. I think in, uh, I mean, I got SoFi at around seventeen bucks, but I could see another two or three years that being like a thirty dollars stock. I do not disagree. Where, where is it now? It's at fourteen right now. It, is it really? It, yeah, they put out a bad earnings in quarter two, and everybody got scared. Yeah, I, I could buy that. I'm looking at it right now. I, I may just buy that at fourteen. But the market is down today. But see, now I have I have a large cap five hundred, and I and it seems like it's the PE is really it's like a hundred or way over that. It's crazily overvalued. Wait, you have a what now? I have a large cap. I have a Schwab large cap. It, the, it follows the S and P five hundred. You know, it's like full of Facebook and Apple. It's full of yeah. those. Um, I bought that at like eighty three bucks. I mean, it's up to one hundred and eight. And so I don't know if that's going to go back down. But like well, I'd rather be in an S&P 500 index fund than, I mean, like, look at, we remember, Aaron, we've talked before months ago about uh, the ARC fund. Uh, this is Kathy Wood's fund that was up, what, 200% last year or something like that. Uh, it owns a lot of future stocks, but they're not, they're not making money now. They hope, we hope that they will one day. And you were excited about that. And you should be. I mean, this is a good way to invest in, in speculative, not speculative, but say the future, long-term future. Great way to invest, but short-term risky as hell. I mean, you know, when if the like I said, if interest rates start going up, these stocks with no earnings are are, are trading at two hundred times sales, and a thousand times earnings are going to get hurt. Oh yeah, I actually gotten out of all those things. I I've put a put some money aside for the event that you're actually talking about. 
when your okay. interest rates go yeah, up good, and the good. PE ratios come back down. Yeah, I've been waiting for that. Yeah. Yeah. I put a little money on the sidelines here. And when, and when, not if, but when the market does come down big, and I'm not expecting that in the next week or months or maybe even a year, but when it does, that's when you pile into those, the Kathy Wood stocks, the, uh, the Teslas, the, you know, the future says so space stocks, you know, the biotechs. Oh, that's good to know. All the stuff with great future promise. That's wait till wait till the uh, market crashes and then back the truck up on those. Will do. Okay, um, we go to our question of the day. Okay, here it is. Uh, hi, Stacy. Love your podcast and newsletters. This is from Aww. Dorothea. Dorothea, you're so sweet. Uh, I have a question about my HSA health savings account. I've been putting the maximum amount away in my HSA annually, and I'm able to keep adding to it each year without having to use it for medical expenses. I'm 59, and I want to retire at 62. But what happens to my HSA when I leave my company? Also, my HSA doesn't offer any investment opportunities. Is that normal? Before you answer, do me a quick do me a quick favor, Miranda. Tell me, tell everybody what an HSA is. Right. So a health savings account is a tax advantage account where you can put money in uh, tax, you know, before taxes. So you get your tax, you get a tax discount, a tax deduction for the money you put in. Uh, it grows tax-free, and as long as you use the money, as long as you take the money out for qualified medical expenses, you don't ever have to pay taxes on it. The HSA is one of my very favorite tools, <laughs> and I, I now, love the HSA. Not everybody can have an HSA, though, right? Right. So in order to qualify for an HSA, you do need a high deductible health plan. So you can usually check with your workplace or something like that. Um, and then um, and if you are not and that's pretty much it. Right. I mean, that's 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 it. That's the tweet. <laughs> that's that's the main. There are a couple other minor things like once you reach a certain age, you can no longer contribute to an HSA. But uh, for many people, the main thing is you need to have a high deductible health plan. Awesome. Now, okay, now, uh, since I made you go astray there, let me get back and read you the questions again. So what Dorothy wants to know is, what happens to her HSA when she leaves her company and her HSA doesn't offer any investment opportunities? Is that normal? It's sad. It's all very sad. Okay. So, well, first of all, the money in your HSA is always yours. So you can roll that over. Now it depends on what the administrator offers, but if you leave your job, some administrators will let you keep the money there, but you may have to start paying like the monthly fee. So in some cases, it could be that your employer is paying that monthly administration fee to your administrator. And so then you would have to pay a fee, uh, pay the fee, but you can still leave your money there. The other option is to roll your HSA funds to a new custodian. Now there are places that will allow you to move your money and have an individual HSA, uh, separate from your employer. I personally have my own money with lively. Uh, so it's livelymead.com. I believe there is also a review of lively on the money talks news website written by me as <laughs> somebody who uses it. And cool. so if that's something you're interested in, you can check that out. Uh, that's just my own personal one. You need to figure out what's going to work for you, whether Lively makes sense for you. One of the things I do like about Lively, to get to the second part of your question, one of the things I do like about Lively, it has a seamless integration with TD Ameritrade 
now owned by Schwab, uh, but it has a seamless integration with TD Ameritrade so that you can choose to invest your funds. Now, being able to invest your funds can boost your returns over time, potentially, I should say, can potentially boost your returns over time, and it provides you a way to get some of that sweet, sweet tax-free growth. In fact, I was looking at this the other day, and I discovered that probably about a quarter of my retirement portfolio, if I include my HSA, like the value of my retirement portfolio, about a quarter of it is in my HSA. <laughs> like, so, no, um, so you invest your HSA is not just in a money market. You actually buy, buy mutual funds with it? Yes, yes, I actually do. Yeah, and so you can do that, you, but you have to. But those funds, you can't commingle those funds with other retirement accounts or anything else. Like they're going to be kept separate. So, like, like my HSA TD Ameritrade thing is separate from any other TD Ameritrade account yeah, I would have. I mean, you can look at them from like a dashboard and stuff, but you can't commingle the funds. Uh, if you if you want access to the funds, you have to go through the process of actually selling your investments and then transferring the proceeds to your HSA and then use them from your HSA. It seems and, kind of it seems kind of, kind of um... Is it too risky to invest your HSA funds? Because this is to meet your healthcare needs. Is, right. What if and you it, lose money? And it can be, yes. I mean, you have to consider your own risk tolerance. So for me personally, uh, I only I have very few healthcare needs right now. And like uh, like our friend Dorothea, who is able to keep the money growing over time, keep the money in there without using them for current healthcare needs. I'm actually planning on using my HSA for healthcare in retirement. So hopefully maintaining that. Yeah. So so that's going to be my healthcare funding for retirement. But yes, there is that risk that you could lose money if you're investing it. And so I am investing it similarly to the way I invest my IRA, that's which is yeah, which is since I'm younger, farther away, it is mostly in stocks. But as I approach retirement, I expect to switch my asset allocation uh, to more dividend stocks and um, and bonds. So yeah, I've I had expect... an HSA for a long time. I've never invested my uh, HSA in anything but money market. Yeah. I, I, and I my, do keep... I do my investing elsewhere. Because, but I'm 66 <laughs> years old. I just turned 66. Right. So uh, I can and I can't contribute to an HSA anymore because once you're on Medicare, you can't contribute to an HSA. Right. Period. However, right. I could I could still use the money that I have in my HSA for healthcare expenses, and I can also use it to pay my Medicare um, monthly monthly check if I if I need to. I can use it. Oh yeah, not definitely. But, and but so, I've, never, I've never invested it though. But as always, it's important to take a look at your risk tolerance and see what kind of options are available. And you know, similar similar to how you can invest your your IRA in these index funds or these index ETFs, you can do that with your HSA. And that's how I choose to do it as well. Um, I actually have chosen a, uh, for, for my HSA, I have a dividend aristocrats ETF. So I'm getting paid dividends oh, that's um, cool. as well. And, and, and then and not as risky either. Right. And then automatically having those dividends reinvested. So so that's nice. It's a nice way to kind of grow. And like I said, for me, it's meant that about 25% of my retirement, because I've been investing in an HSA for almost 10 years now, um, I've been able to like, it accounts for almost 25% of my retirement that's wonderful. portfolio. Good for you. I was, I'm not surprised that your whole HSA is not in Dogecoin. Shocking, right? Uh, fun fact: <laughs> it's not an investment option. <laughs> yeah. Oddly enough, yeah. can you? Oddly enough, wow. thank God. Great. Well, that's great, though. Yeah. Well, Dorothea, I hope that answers your question. It probably answered more than you even thought of asking. 
Okay, guys, we are out of time today, but we are never out of any topic. <laughs> Dig a little deeper. You're going to find links to tons of information in our show notes. And remember, if your goal is to make more, to spend less, to retire rich, your online home is moneytalksnews.com. And don't forget to check out Miranda's online home as well. That is Miranda Marquit, M-A-R-Q-U-I-T.com. You got a question, a comment, a topic you'd like to suggest? We would love to hear from you. Email us at hello at moneytalksnews.com. It's just hello at moneytalksnews.com. And one last thing, if you appreciate what we do, then do something for us. Subscribe to this podcast. Takes you a couple of seconds. Really helps us, though. So if you like us, show us and subscribe. And tell your friends, too. I'm Stacey Johnson. And I'm Miranda Marquette. And I'm Aaron Freeman. Thanks for hanging out with us, guys. We're going to see you right here next time.